Uh, If you have a Bible, you can go to the book of Philippians that's in the New Testament. Philippians, we're in our series on Philippians, we're in chapter 3. We're going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And as, we're, as you're turning there, I wanted to ask you a question. Just uh, it's, it's, we're, we're coming up towards, towards spring. You know, the, the whole New Year's buzz has, has worn off. We're, we're looking ahead to, to the second quarter. And uh, perhaps we're not as self-evaluating uh, as we were at the beginning of the year. And so I wanted to ask, what, where is your life going? Where is your life going? Have you, have you given that question much thought recently? Maybe even just this year or in the last five years. Have you considered the trajectory of your life? Not just what you're going to do tomorrow or the next day or, or the trip that you're going to take this summer. But where, where are you going in your life? You know, I so appreciated, I, I was thinking about my, my sermon as we were worshiping. And, and it's neat when the Lord he kind of interweaves different things, and, and Derek was talking about glory, and I was thinking about glory, because you and I, we were made with a purpose that extends beyond this week or next week. You, you were made with a purpose that exists beyond your immediate utility to those around you. You were created and crafted to reflect the, the glory of God. And that word glory, it's, it's, some, it's kind of hard to grasp, but there's a sense in which uh, if, if God is the sun, we are mirrors and we're intended to reflect the, the light of his, his glory. That's what you were made for and that's the intention and the purpose for which you've been created. That's why we get saved is so that God can do things in our life, certainly to bring wholeness and completeness and healing, but that's not the end in itself. It's ultimately so that we can experience how awesome God is, because he is awesome, and then to express that to others. And so today, as we we get into the word, uh, we're going to be thinking not just about glory, but about the end for which we've been created. Why were you created? And I want to read this prayer out of of this book that I've, I've quoted before it's it's the valley of vision and the the prayer is called the man man's great end or humanity's great end you can pray this along with me lord of all being you do it to yourself uh lord of all being there's one thing that deserves my greatest care that calls forth my ardent desires that that is that i may answer the great end for which i am made to glorify you who have given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow man. Truly, life is not worth having if it be not improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little is this thought of mankind? Most people seem to live for themselves without much or any regard for your glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly purpose the, uh, pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they suppose that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But what a false, delusive dream are these, and how miserable will those be that sleep in them, for all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as you are holy. 
May we never fall into tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of this present world. It's a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast, empty nothingness. nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me grace always to keep in covenant with you and to reject any delusion, a great name here or hereafter, together with all the sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know you continually, we pray, that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of your purposes for me apart from a life lived in and for the son of your love. We pray these things as we consider your word, God. Amen. Well, we're in Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 through 16. And as you consider that prayer, I want, you, I want us to stand. I'll read it. We'll, actually, we'll read it together. It's, it's a lot of reading at the beginning of the sermon, but here we are. Philippians 12, uh, sorry, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray and ask that you would help us to pursue this resurrection life. Not just the, the benefit of not dying but living, but all that resurrection life represents. Restoration in our relationship with you, revelation of your glory, renewed passion for you. God, would you do these things in us as we consider the end for which we were made? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's good to see your faces. The, the winter's... A weird thing. I thought it, it looked so warm, and then you got outside, and it was not. Um, but it was a nice dream, I guess. Okay. So the the point that that I hope to make is that we need to press on to what Paul calls resurrection life. Now, when I began talking, I was talking about this end for which we were made, God's glory, and now I'm talking about resurrection life. But the two are not mutually exclusive. They're not separate things. God gives us uh, opportunity to pursue his glory as he gives us resurrection life. And resurrection life really expresses something of his death-defeating, sin-stomping glory. Resurrection life, as Paul talks about, and I'm going I'm to unfold that a little bit more in a minute, but resurrection life isn't just, I don't have to die, I get to die and come back to life. But no, I come back to life to something toward God, toward his eternal glory, toward a people who will forever glorify him, toward ultimate and, and complete joy and satisfaction in God, who I was made for. That's what resurrection life is, and it's that purpose for which we were made. So as we think about 
what was I made for? What am I supposed to do today and tomorrow? Anyone who's made a goal knows that if you make a goal, you have to work that goal and go back from there. That, that ultimate goal has implications for what you do, uh, you know, five years from the goal and three years from the goal and, and two years from the goal and, and for what you do today and tomorrow. And that's what we want to look at. So we want to press on to resurrection life. And, and he gives us really kind of three how-tos. First, we want to press on by being honest about where we are. If we're going somewhere, we need to know where we're starting. We want to press on towards resurrection life by being honest about where we are. Secondly, we want to press on towards resurrection life by forgetting what is past and focusing on the future. By forgetting what is past and focusing on the future. And then finally, we want to press on to this resurrection life, pursuing the glory of God by fixing our eyes on faith, on the faith. And we're going to talk about these more. But first, let's look at the first few verses. We want to press on by being honest about where we are. He says in, in verse 12, not that I've, I've already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made him, me his own. There's a lot of pronouns in, in that. Um, this, that's a, that's a pronoun. Uh, it. Uh, well, there's two pronouns. Well, suffice it to say, there's enough pronouns in there that we need to define what we're talking about. We don't want to just assume what he's talking about. Not, on, not that I've just already obtained this. What are you talking about, Paul? What is this? And if you are a good student of literature, you know that you have to go back and see what this refers to. And in verses 4 through, um, sorry, verses 8 through 11, he gives the context we talked about this last week. He talked about his, his, res, uh, his resume, and he says, I've done these things, I've experienced these things, I, I've got all this stuff that I could trust in, but I, I count it all as loss. And then verse 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having a righteousness uh, of my own that comes from, not from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that it, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I do all these things, I press on, I, I I count all of those things as lost, and I receive not the resurrection that comes, or not, sorry, the, not the righteousness that comes from my good behavior, but I, I receive the righteousness that comes from what? Faith in what Jesus Christ has done. I'm not trusting in what I can do. I'm trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm trusting what Jesus did by living this perfect, obedient life, dying on the cross for my sins in my place, and then rising from the dead. I'm not trusting myself. I'm trusting him. And, I, and I'm doing this that I may attain this resurrection life. And then he says, now, no, sorry, not now, not that I have already tained, obtained this. He, he hasn't completely obtained resurrection life. He's made it clear that his greatest desire is to attain this resurrection life. But it's, it's more than just not being dead. It's, it's living in the reality of Christ's resurrection. And I want, to, I want us to grasp onto this because if we, just reduce, if we just reduce Jesus died for my sins so that I can live to now I can live, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven, 
And, and we don't actually think about what implications that has for our life, then the, the salvation that God gives us is rather hollow. And I think that sometimes people walk away from the faith because they haven't really thought fully about what that faith is. It's living in the, re, the reality of Christ's resurrection. It's, it's having a new master. It's having a new lease on life. It's being given an opportunity to experience real joy. It's being satisfied. I love in this prayer how he talks about how uh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of this present world. Isn't there so much in this world that tempts us? And I'm not just talking about that dark stuff in that alley over there. I'm talking about the things that just invite us to turn our brains off. You know, so much, so much of our lives, we're, we're trying to, we, we pick up our device and we're just trying to turn off our brains, turn off our feelings, turn off our emotions, to feel, to create a feeling. I want to, I want to be excited by something, so I'm going to look at entertainment. I want to be, I want to feel happy, so I'm going to, and I'm not saying that there's a lot of entertainment that's just fine. There's a lot that's terrible, but we won't go there. But, but our heart's desire for these lesser things exists because we're not pursuing this resurrection life that Paul's talking about. Now he says, I, I've, I want this, but he says, not that I've already obtained it or, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. You know, Paul, pretty big deal, kind of an important figure in the church, did some fairly impressive things. He says, I, I haven't obtained this. I, I haven't gotten to the place of, of perfection. And that word for perfection, it kind of means maturity, completion, getting to the end for which he was crafted and made. He says, I, I haven't gotten there. He wants to experience the fullness of resurrection life, but he, he isn't there yet. And, and the reality is we, we can't make progress. We're not going to make good progress if we're not being honest about where we are. You know, if you're walking in a forest and you don't pay attention to where you are, it's very likely you will revisit that place. If you're not paying attention to your path, you're, you're going to find yourself lost. Where would you consider yourself in terms of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? As Paul talks about being perfected, he's, he's talking about being shaped into the, the character of Jesus. He's, he's thinking about who Jesus was and is, how he lived, and then he's comparing that to how he currently lives. And he's saying, oh, there's a gap here. There's a gap in my affections. There's a gap in my holiness. When you consider your own life, where are you in terms of being conformed to the image of Christ? We talked about holiness for, for over a month. How does, how does holiness intersect with your life? Is it something that you're pursuing? Is it, or does it seem like kind of a, a, a passe thing that we, we, we don't need to worry about that? We can... God says, come as you are. Yes, but he also says, be holy as I'm holy. We can't make progress unless we're being honest about where we are. Now, he knows where he is. He knows that he hasn't obtained this. He, he's in process. And that's, that's the second point of encouragement. If, if Paul can say, hey, I'm in process, then you and I, we might as well admit it. We're in process. Because... If Paul's this holy and he's like, I'm not quite there yet, and I'm over here, and I'm like, well, you're benching, you know, a lot, and the bar's real heavy for me. We can be honest 
about where we are. The fact that God extends his grace, his unmerited favor to us, he he tells us that he loves us despite ourselves means that we can be honest. You may come from a background where you couldn't be honest, where where you kind of had to, you know, everything's going well and I'm quite fine, thank you very much. And your, your outward behavior reflected something of a a hollowness, and inside there was so much brokenness or so much confusion that you couldn't express outside. And I, I think that some culture has swung it in a different way. What I'm not saying is that we need to be radically transparent with everyone. Don't go on social media and just put out your junk. But as it relates to the people in your life who matter, like face-to-face people that matter, and, and the, hopefully some of the people here in this church even, maybe your small group, your spouse, your pastors, these are people with whom you can be honest about where you are. Not so someone can kind of wag their, their finger at you, but so that they can join in prayer with you, to encourage you from God's word, to help maybe help you see God's grace in your life when you don't see it. You know, sometimes you're, you're beating yourself up and, and you're saying, I've... I'm messed up here and here and here. And someone else is like, well, I see God's grace here. But we, we don't benefit from that unless we open ourselves up and we're honest anyways. He knows where he is and it, it, it's good for us to know where we are. He, he presses on by first knowing where he is, but he presses on towards this resurrection life also by forgetting the past and focusing on the future. Uh, Paul is using the language of a runner pursuing victory. If we look at verses 13 and and 14, he begins in verse 13, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. How does he press on? How does he do that? What does it look like? Okay, I understand running, even if it's just theoretical, but, but what does that look like in, in our spiritual life? He, he gives a twofold strategy. First of all, we forget what is behind. For Paul to follow Christ, he had to forsake a great deal. And we hear about a lot of it in verses 3 through 7. We are the circumcision, he says, who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, he says, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he's got reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I've got a great resume. And, And you have to think that he spent years cultivating that, right? I remember trying to get into... The, the job market. And what was so funny is like, you wanted to get into the IT job market and they're like, entry level jobs, five years experience. And you're like, well, this is a conundrum. <laughs> he had all the experience. He had all the, exp- he had all the credentials. He had all the certifications. And yet he says, I count that as loss. But you know what's interesting? He doesn't just say that I count all those good things as lost. He, he says, I forget everything that was behind. 
You know, I'm not sure if he's talking about it, but it's entirely possible that he's also thinking about the bad things that he does. I mean, he mentions being a persecutor of the church. And while he was persecuting the church, he was understanding himself to be zealous. But after coming to Christ, can you imagine rethinking all of those things? Paul, thinking about the fact that he stood and and approved and, and kind of oversaw the stoning of this man, Stephen, who he recognizes now as a believer. Oh, that was my brother in Christ who I murdered. You got to think that maybe that kept him up at night. Do you as a Christian have things that keep you up at night? Things where you say, you know what, Jesus, I know that you saved me, but man, I can't believe I did that. And you're driving in your car by yourself and you're at work and you just mutter, that's stupid. It's dumb as you think about your past, and you're wrestling with those things. Paul says, I, I leave all that behind. Now, now, what he's not doing is pie in the sky, I didn't do those things. He's not saying that didn't happen. He's recognizing that everything comes through the grid of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus Christ did, he no longer is defined by those things. He's no, his life is no longer controlled by those past behaviors, positive or negative. He's, he's no longer being identified as the persecutor, as the Pharisee, as the zealous one, as the, the guy who knows all the things, as the Hebrew. Of he, he's, he is a Christian. Who am I? I am a Christian. You know, I, I so appreciate John, when, when the Pharisees come, the, John the, the, the Baptist starts baptizing people and, and, and preaching a pretty, pretty rough, edgy, you know, repent, don't, don't keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it, it was not a lovey-dovey, everyone come to Jesus because he's, come to God because God loves you and it's going to be okay. You know, he was, the, he was a prophetic speaker and, and these Pharisees come to him and they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm not the one. Okay, but who are you? I'm not the one you want. And they had to kind of cajole him to the point that it was like, okay, I'm, I'm the one who's going to point to the one. So much of John was about pointing to Jesus because he understood that his identity had, it, it, it was a, a planet that, that orbited around the Son of God. We can... can Forget what's past, not, not as a blind, I'm not going to look at that, I'm gonna, not going to think about that, I'm not going to worry about that as though it's, it's a skeleton in a closet. No, no, it's wide open to God. But God has seen, he has known, and yet he has sent his son and his son and his blood has covered it. He, he forgets what is past. He's singularly focused on what's ahead. We can't just forget the past. The point of letting go of what's past, whether good or bad, is not just so that we can live obliviously. And this is where popular, nominal, cultural Christianity gets it wrong and weird. We forget the past and now we just live how we want. And people watch us live how we want and they say, does it look very different? Your present and and your future looks a lot like your past. You're like, don't worry about my past. I'm free in Christ. 
to live how I want, to sin how I want, to be how I want. And maybe our sin gets more sophisticated or prettier or less culturally offensive. But no, we, we, we can forget what's behind in order that we can run towards the goal. Remember what Paul's saying. He's not saying we forget what's behind and we just kind of wander around. No, he's running. Can you imagine someone starting a, a, a race and the people, the, the runners begin to race and then they, they get to a point and they just stop and they're like, well, that was fun. I never have really looked at this track. It's really interesting. Look at the grass. I mean, they need to work over here. No, they run. They run for the goal. There's a focus. And what is Paul pursuing? He, he describes it in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When you hear the call of God on your life, it's an invitation to trust in Jesus and to receive the prize, which is namely Christ himself. When we hear the gospel call, we're not just receiving information about Jesus, we're receiving Christ himself into our lives. And if, if you're in this room and you don't know what being saved looks like, Basically, it's, it's understanding that you and I, we're sinners, that we, we disobey God, we have broken the law, uh, that there is a king who is in heaven and he has rules and we have broken those rules and because of that, there's a judgment, a punishment that's deserved by us and yet Jesus, who is God, comes to earth, lives a perfect life we should have lived, dies on the cross for our sins and rises again, offering eternal life to us, but what we do is not say, I know that story, so I am saved. We're not saying, I will, will include this Christian anthology along with my other fables and myths and those interesting stories that help me to live more morally. No, we're saying, I see what Jesus has done for me and I receive Jesus as mine. And Paul is so moved by this that he, he often talks about being Christ or being in Christ. That he's not just saved. What does it mean for Paul to be saved but to be in Christ? When God looks at me, God sees Christ. And when God looks at Christ, he sees me. When God looks at Jesus, his perfect son, he, he sees me. On the cross, when, when, when Jesus was dying, he saw me and my sin. And now when I stand before God and I pray, he doesn't see me, he sees his beloved son. And he says, okay, come on, I want to hear what you have to say. We're pursuing this, this upward call. Paul's is, eager expectation isn't that he'll receive some sort of reward in addition to Christ, but that he'll receive Christ. And how does he pursue it? He, he pursues it by straining for it. He doesn't just hope for it. He doesn't just pursue it on Sundays and, and pursue other things the rest of the week. Again, I'm so encouraged by, by what Derek said when it talks about glorying in God. Do we glory on God, in God on Sundays? It's, it's Sunday. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to raise my hand just like everyone else is and just like this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify God. But then on Monday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify myself. I'm going to put myself forward. I'm going to make sure that my, my employer sees how great I am. 
You know, on Tuesday, I'm going to argue with that person because I am right, and I'm going to argue for the fact that my glory is more important than my humility before this person. On Wednesday, I'm, I'm going to get really impatient with that server because doesn't she understand I got to be somewhere? He strains towards, towards this, this pursuit of Christ, and he doesn't just pursue it on Sundays. It, it characterizes his whole life. And, and he strains towards a greater reality. You might, you might be saying to yourself, well, if I'm saved, don't I have Christ? Don't, don't I already have Christ? What am I pursuing if Jesus is already in my life? Well, you're pursuing more of him. And, and if you've been a Christian for long enough, you know that there's, there's a way to be a Christian and to have Christ and to, and to still want more. I mean, it's those moments in the middle of the night where you're like, I know I've got you, God, but please help. And that's the super self-controlled version of you and the inside of you is like screaming. It's those moments where you're, you, you get the diagnosis from the doctor and you know you have Christ, but you need more. It's when that loved one goes off and does what they're not supposed to and you're praying and you've been asking and begging, God, would you move in their life? And you know you've got Christ, but man, you want more. He's pursuing Christ in his fullness. We can experience resurrection life when we're honest and when we're intentional about straining for it. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, you know, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, uh, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will, be, will reveal it also to you. So he kind of makes this side comment. You know, if you're mature, uh, think about it this way. Think the way that I'm thinking. And, and it's a little ironic because the word there for mature is the same word for perfect at the beginning. So he says, guys, I'm not perfect. I have not, uh, I have not reached maturity. But then he goes on, but if any of you guys are mature, right? If any of you guys think that you're better than me or you're smarter than me, God will reveal that to you. That's fine. I'll wait. But then he goes on and he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. What we have attained. Um, at this point, the, the Philippians are in danger because they, as they're running, they may become proud of their progress or discouraged by their lack of progress. You see, as a runner, if, have you ever, this happens to me occasionally, I'm just going to be honest. You go down the stairs and you forget how to go down the stairs. Like either you're, you just start counting the number of steps and you're like, oh no, and your feet just betray you. Or you, you move into a new house and there's the landing halfway up and in the middle of the night, you're not quite sure if, how many steps it is in this house? Is this going to be a step? And you're like, no, it wasn't. And you just, you forget. Um, that was supposed to be an example. It's uh, a funny story. Um, the, the Philippians could become proud of their progress or, or discouraged by their lack of progress. And, and when we begin, this is, this is where I was going, okay. Um, when you begin to focus on your feet, that's when that weird stuff happens. Right? If you just go up the stairs, you're good. But if you start like one, two, three, four, how many steps is it? And then you're like, oh, goodness. 
Or you're going down the stairs really fast. You're like, I'm going down the stairs really fast. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's too fast. You trip and fall and whatever. When you begin to focus on yourself, things can get weird. And if you're running and you start looking down, think bad things can happen. You can hit something ahead of you. Someone else can clip you. Bad things happen. And, and the Philippians, as they're thinking about what progress looks like, they may be tempted to look and say, hey, we're doing pretty good. I mean, listen to this letter. Paul likes us. I mean, I, I didn't read the letter to the Corinthians, but I heard about it, and we are not the Corinthians. You know, man, the Galatians, they are, they're a mess. And, and they could be thinking to themselves, we're doing pretty good. Or they could be thinking, oh, man, you know, maybe Paul's angry at us because he said that I, you know, I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day, of, bring it to completion of the day. Is he being sarcastic? Is he trying to say that we've not reached? Like, is he trying to criticize us? You, you can look in your life, and, and if you look at it, you can either have this attitude of boasting because I'm so awesome because I have obeyed Christ, which don't do that. Or you can get down on the dumps and say, man, I've really continued to fail God. And, and, and it can become this kind of self-pitying, oh, no type moment. And so Paul gives what I think is a corrective and a reminder in verse 16, and he says, only, you know what, let us hold true to what? What we have attained. But I don't think what he, he means here is, is just progress. Because he's been talking about his own progress, and he, he says, I, I haven't attained what I've wanted to attain, and that's what I'm focusing on. You know, Paul had made a lot of progress. Can we say that? He had done quite a bit for the kingdom, and yet he says, I've not attained what I've wanted I've not gotten what matters. And so when he says here, only to let us hold on to what we've, we've attained, I don't think he means let's, let's hold on to the progress we've made. No, I think he's saying let us hold on, uh, let's hold true rather to what we have attained. Um, in other words, don't be false. And how can you not be false by, by holding true to what is true? He focuses the shift um, to God. He makes this final encouragement to pursue resurrection life by focusing not on our own progress, but what we've attained, which is namely righteousness through faith in Christ. And if you go to verse 9, you can see that he talks about this. He says, um, you know, I've suffered loss, dot, 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 to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, I've, I've counted everything lost, not so I can be, receive a righteousness that I earned, but to receive that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. He's received righteousness from God, what? That depends on faith. So because he trusts in Jesus, God gives him faith, or not faith, <clears throat> God gives him righteousness he counts him righteous, as Paul would say in other places. He receives, uh, theologians say, it's imputed to him. You know, it's not imparted. It's not like there's a cup and he pours in some righteousness and now it's righteousness mixed with unrighteousness. No, he, he gives him a new cup of righteousness, full of Christ's righteousness. And he says, that's what I've received by faith. The fact that you and I are in this race isn't a testimony to our own greatness. Right? You didn't get in this race because you're awesome. You're awesome. I think you guys are awesome. But you didn't get in this race of Christianity because you're awesome. I ask this question often, and and it's worth thinking about. Why did you get saved? Was it because you were smarter? 
you were better? You were more holy? I asked this of myself as well. You know, Eddie, why did you get saved? Because you were, you were better than the three other kids they didn't on that Sunday? No. God, God did something. He arrested my heart. He, he drew me in. I received Christ, and I received his righteousness. He, he encourages us to pursue resurrection life by focusing on the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. God has made you and has made a way for you through the death of his own son. And it's Christ himself who will bring us home. Right? That's why he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, guys, I'm confident that you guys, you're going to bring it around. No. His confidence is in who? Jesus. God will finish us the work. Sure, we have to labor because he's talking about running. He's talking about striving. He ends up dying a martyr's death. I mean, he is not saying live a cool life, you know, live and, and, and let live and, and just trust that God's going to carry you on the current of his grace. No, he's saying that you have to work. There are other places that talk about the indwelling sin that we all experience of having to fight against the urges that still exist in us. If you're a parent, you know that to be the case. If you're a, a student or a child, you know that to be the case. You're like, mom, dad, son, daughter. You have these unrighteous feelings that come up. You know, when your employer does something, you have these unrighteous feelings that come up. When your spouse does something, you have these unrighteous feelings that come up. And what do you have to do? You have to press against them. You have to strain. But we do all this knowing that Christ has done so much more and is at work in our lives, and in our obedience. God is with us. He says, I've not obtained this, guys, but I press on to make it my own because what? Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, there's three hows, but there's a, there's a why embedded in there. Why? Why would we work hard at this? Why would we try to Forget what's behind and strain towards what's ahead. Why would we even dare to be honest about ourselves? Why would we submit ourselves to that kind of emotional terror? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Has, has Jesus Christ made you his own? You know, seriously, are, are you, are you a a religious person who happens to find him or herself in this church, or are you someone who is owned by Jesus Christ? When we, when we sing songs and say Jesus is Lord, we're not just saying Jesus is, and then sing some sort of religious word or title. No, we're saying Jesus is in charge, Period. Not just in charge of my finances, not just in charge of my marriage, not just in charge of my whatever, but in charge of my thought life, in charge of my actions, in charge of my emotions. He's in charge. We, we strain ahead because Christ has made me his own. God, God has given us resurrection life, and we get to taste it now, but we, we get to also pursue it and experience it in the fullness um, in the future. So how do, we, how do we press on? We press on by being honest 
by forgetting the past and focusing on the future and by fixing our eyes on the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. God, I do thank you that you have made me your own. God, I pray that, that you would continue to help us to press on, Lord, to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to obey you in, in greater and greater measure. And Lord, for those who are feeling the pressure, feeling conviction of things that you want them to press into, God, I pray that you would give them courage to obey. There's some here who are wrestling with sin that they know they need to repent of. And I, would, I pray that you'd give them courage to obey and encouragement that you'll be on the other end of that confession and repentance. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's a great day to do that. If that's you, if you want to stop trusting in your own resume and you want to trust what Jesus has accomplished, would you just raise your hand? Great, once that's hands up, you can put it back down. I want you to pray this with me. God, I, I turn away that from everything I know to be sin. And I turn and trust in you. God, I want to be honest about where I am. I am a sinner in need of salvation. I repent. That means I turn away from those things that are, that are wrong. And I turn to you and trust in you. Would you give me resurrection life? And would you set my feet on the track to pursue it for the rest of my life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, family.